you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Rally watch. Stocks trying to extend their monthly gains. We'll debate what lies ahead as one of our committee members makes several major moves in this market. Joining me for the hour today, Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, Rob Seachin, and Jim Labenthal. I want to show you what the markets are doing. We do have a pretty good day going. The Dow is good for 231. S&P is higher by a third of 1%. And there is the Nasdaq's a fractional winner today. We're watching yields. We've got a lot going on. Three IPOs here at the New York Stock Exchange, including one just to our left here, which could open any moment. And we're going to take you through that as well, because there's going to be a lot of excitement around it as the crowd builds over at post six to our left. That's Savers Value Village. We're also watching Apple, which is now within a dollar, a little less than a dollar away from $3 trillion in market cap. Now, remember, it was there before in January of 22 on an intraday basis, never closed there. So we're watching that. 190.73 is the number we are watching there. We'll go to Pisani in a second, but uh, actually, let me go to Bob now. Hey, Bob, you with me? You hear me? And we're waiting. Uh, we are probably, I would estimate, three, four, five minutes away here. The important thing here, uh, near the high end of the range here. So remember, Sabres Value Village, and that was the, the big IPO of the day here. There's three of them, but this is the big one here. Pricing at $18, now at 24 and a quarter to 24 and three quarters. And the general rule down here with it, when the spread is less than a dollar, when you get a 50 cent spread, you are getting very, very close. There's Pete Giacci, who is uh, the head of market making for Citadel Securities down here on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. And what he's doing is yelling out to the brokers here, the floor brokers, you see them around me for last indication. That means this is it, guys. We're going to close the book shortly, put in whatever your final bids and offers are. Uh, there, of course, is uh, the CEO, it's Mark Walsh, standing right here next to the bell. That's Lynn Martin standing next to him. That's the president of the New York Stock Exchange. And this is kind of the way it used to look in the old days, uh, where the CEO would stand next to the president, wait for uh, the market maker to declare the final move here uh, for the company to, to uh, finally become uh, publicly traded. And again, what's happening now is they're upstairs, the book runner upstairs, which is J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs, are telling everyone, all the mutual fund people, anybody else, this is the final moments here where you put your bids in, they're building the book. So you might have one mutual fund company, I want 100,000 shares at $24, another says I'll take 500,000 at 23 and a half, and you actually build a book with people who are determining where the ultimate opening price. They want to open it at the highest possible price. That's what they're looking for, and include the greatest number of people. One minute now. You see Pete Giacchi just yelling out, one minute here. And normally what they look for, you see that 22.2 million shares? They look for roughly 10% of the, of the stock to float somewhere at the open. So that's right about where we are right now. Pete's selling out best limits, so this is the last thing. You see the brokers 
standing around you. They're now electronically communicating with him. In the old days, they would be screaming at him. These days, it's electronic communication. These are handhelds that are talking directly to him and to the bookmakers that are upstairs. That's J.P. Morgan is the lead right now. So you see 24 and a quarter at 24 and three quarters. And here is Mark Walsh standing next to you, the CEO. Uh, this was a company uh, that not a lot of people knew much about, but it hits all of the interesting uh, data points at this point. Thrift is cool. There's an ecological point of view here for people who have clothing, a lot of clothing waste in the country. They're a company that specializes in, of course, repurposing clothing. There's also a big data AI component. They have very sophisticated data analytics to sort through millions and millions of pounds of clothes and figure out where to sell it and what price points they should be actually uh, uh, trading at. So there's an interesting whole angle here. And of course, there's also that little recession angle. Thrift is cool, but in a recession, there's even better thrift opportunities. Still waiting for us to go public here. The important thing right now, Pete, what are we looking at? He's sitting, we're looking at the indications here. 24 and a quarter to 24.75, and it's looking like it's gonna open towards the high end of the range, which again, this is a this is an auction process. There are literally, as we're standing here, people putting in bids and offers to get around to get into the final, because there's always people gonna wait till the very, very end to see where the market is going here. So it's not going to move that much you're going to see. And so the, the, now you're getting people dithering over small amounts of money, quarter, 15 cents, 10 cents. But when you're dealing with a half a million shares, that's a lot of money. And so that's why people are still standing there waiting for the market to go here. Um, let me uh, just move over here and see if Lynn Martin can say something to it. Lynn, how are you doing? Are you feeling good? Good. It's the green sheets that I keep talking about. It's a price discovery process. Uh, great company, got three great companies IPOing today. You know, on the back of a great IPO for Kava. Would be remiss if I didn't talk about Kenview too earlier this quarter. What I really like about today, you've got multiple sectors going. You got a lot of uh, capital being raised, almost a billion dollars got raised last night. We have an IPO tonight too, that's pricing. It's going tomorrow. International and domestic, this is the green shoots of the IPO market. A lot of people mentioned to me that two of the three companies priced below their range. What's more important, to get the deal done or when the, 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 to, to, when the company prices a little bit below the range? What's, what's important for the IPOs here? You know, it's really about what our mission is every day, which is to enable innovators and entrepreneurs and founders to raise capital to change the world, to evolve their businesses. And that's what you're seeing happen right here at the New York Stock Exchange, especially this quarter. And Mark, we're waiting for you. And I'm going to come back to you as soon as we go public. I'm going to go back Great. to Scott right now. And the important thing, Scott, is, of course, this is a process. We thought this was going to happen two or three minutes ago. Right. But you see people are continuing to put in bids and offers. That's why it's a real live auction process. That's why I haven't opened it right now, because there's new bids and offers coming in. Yeah. No, nobody does it better. Uh, three IPOs in, uh, on the same day. This is Pisani Nirvana. So we get it. <laughs> Doesn't get better than this. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. We're watching. Uh, thank you, Bob. All right. Uh, but let's bring it back here. Talk about this rally uh, that we got, Rob. We're winding down the first half of the year again. We're on Apple Watch, IPO Watch. What are you watching? 
Well, you're watching the IPOs, right? You, you saw 41 billion come in in 21. You saw 2 billion come in 22. Uh, 7 billion year to date. So that that looks like there's a bid to the market. You got Steve Weiss yesterday talking like he's Jim Labenthal, right? I mean that that's oh, he's that's, got a long way to go. <laughs> that, he's still that, pretty cautious. That's a though. little different. Um, <laughs> so in the short run, I think there's a there's a bid to the market. There's no no, no question about it. I think you know we've been saying. This you got to stay invested, but cautiously. And it's not an everything market right now. You need to have portfolios that reflect, even though it's been delayed, the possibility of recession risk. And how do you do that? You focus on quality, and over the intermediate term, you focus on valuation. And, and so I think it's a really difficult time because we don't know if this economic strength is going to lead the Fed to ultimately make a mistake possible and we don't know when the market's going to wake up to the fact that technology stocks are linked to interest rates they have been historically just not year to date and at what point in time does this ai enthusiasm fade and i think we're in a sweet spot right now where you you have the tailwinds of these these companies that can weather a storm with the cash that they have, mm -hmm. and you also have a broadening out in the market technically. Yeah, I'm so. glad you went there too, because we do have, Jimmy, a pretty broad move. Materials having a good day today. Financials on the back of the stress test results having a pretty good day. Industrials are up two-thirds of 1% as a sector. Utilities green, energy green. Uh, tech is green, albeit modestly. Yeah, no, this feels like a good day for somebody who's positioned like me, more in cyclicals. You see the equal weight S&P 500 outperforming the NASDAQ. You see small cap rallying. And why is this? You know, I, I hate to focus focus on one data point, but jobless claims coming in meaningfully below expectations. That's the, the most near-term indication of the health of the economy that we've got. I'm not going to mention GDP for the first quarter because we're at the end of the second quarter, but uh, jobless claims are indicating that there is strength continuing to this market. And if that's the case, the recession gets pushed further out or, or maybe even gets negated. That's why you're seeing the broadening of the rally, which helps me and my positioning quite a bit. Scott, I want to go to one data point that may seem a little esoteric, but you know I pay attention to what's going on in Las Vegas because it's the hyper-discretionary spending, right, whether it's consumers or corporations. Just today we got the Las Vegas Visitor and Convention Authority figures for May. Now, they do it with a lag. I'm sorry that it's for May, but what you're seeing here is that all the important figures, rev par, uh, revenue per available room rate, occupancy, are still at January levels. Why is this important? Because, Scott and our viewers, remember, it was March. We had the regional banking system kind of collapsing in on itself, and everybody said, senior loan officers opinion survey we're going to see more unemployment we're going to see a decline in discretionary spending it's here in may we're just not seeing it so i'm glad you bring it up it's a perfect segue steph to you um i teased at the top of our program the very top about a committee member who had a, a number of moves and you are the one that i was obviously referencing <laughs> let's just start since jimmy went casino let's go casino you bought las vegas sands lvs Tell me why. And there's a number of things to get through, but this is the first one I want to talk to you about. New buy. Yeah, well, well, this is my conviction in the China reopening play. 40% of their total revenues are in Macau. 60% are Singapore. So this is not a casino U.S. play. This is the Asia markets that I think are, are poised to recover. And why I chose Las Vegas Sands is because I think even though they had, the stocks had a nice run and they had a great quarter, in their quarter they beat earnings, they beat revenues, yet 31% of 
their hotels were out of service. 27% of, you only had 27% of ferry capacity and 39% of airport volumes. My point being, things are still depressed over there, and I think you will see upside as a result going forward. Yeah. Um, by the way, Savers is open. You probably heard the bell uh, as Steph was talking. You saw that stock was, uh, was up. If we can see the chart so I can see exactly what it's doing right now, please. Uh, as uh, Steph, I'm going to come back to you in just a second, but I do want to sure. see where it's open. And it was a nice move uh, off the open there. So anyway, we'll continue. To, there it is. It's up 36 percent. It's the first of three here on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange today. Uh, which is a big day down here as the great thaw of the IPOs continues. So, Steph, forgive me. Let me come back to you again. Continue with Las Vegas Sands, why you did this, a pure China play, uh, it would seem. Right. And so the first quarter was better than expected, as I mentioned, and things are still depressed. But their their color commentary about March was really in, interesting to me. Visitations in the month of March alone was up 22 percent in Macau and occupancy grew 800 basis points. So, again, you still you have some momentum building. You still haven't felt the 100 percent effects of the reopen. I think we're in early innings, Scott. And you know, that's been a theme for me. I haven't been right year to date. Uh, we haven't seen liftoff yet in China, but I do think it is coming. And so I still want to stay on that theme. Okay. So that's the number one uh, stock I want to talk to you about. That's a new buy. Number two, Home Depot. Why? Yeah, well, so part of it is what we've been seeing in the economic data, right? I mean, the economic data is certainly uh, strong uh, in the face of all these fears about recession. And housing is absolutely recovering. When we get new home sales up 20% year over year at a one-year high, the average age of a home is 37 years, and you only have three months' worth of supply. So I think housing is going to stay tight. Uh, and, um, and and I think that you know, the, most of the stocks have done really well, the housing your plays are up 30 to 50 percent year year to date, but Home Depot has lagged. It's only up one percent, and they just had an analyst day a couple of weeks ago, and they reiterated three to four percent comps, three to four percent total revenues, margin upside, and then I look at their total addressable market at 950 billion dollars, and the pro segment is 475 billion dollars. So it's not cheap at 21 times, but I think this has been a really big laggard, and I think it's it's poised to play catch up. All right, Zimmer Biomet Holdings, ZBH, why'd you buy that one? So this was my uh, final trade last week, um, and it really had to do with United Healthcare and Humana talking about utilization rates going much higher and non-essential surgeries also reaccelerating. That plays right into the hands of MedTech. You know I own J&J. I wanted a pure play. That's Zimmer. The, the company is gaining market share. They have huge backlog that supports growth uh, in the mid to single mid single digit organic growth for into next year. They have margin upside uh, and at 15 times. I think the stock is still attractively valued. The, the other one are the other ones are, are related to financials um, and one that surprises me because I feel like you've owned this for an awfully long time. Now, maybe you're in and out of it. I don't remember specifically. Wells Fargo, you're done out. Goodbye. Well, I mean, I'm up 60 percent in two years uh, and I still like the story. It's still very attractive. And, and I think the you know, the, the restructuring is well underway. However, I think the capital markets plays are going to outperform the pure big regional banks. Uh, as you got, we're just talking with Bob Hassani about the IPO market certainly starting to 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 open up again. And that plays right into the hands, both, by the way, of Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. But I also like Morgan Stanley's wealth management business. Um, 
but I think the capital markets guys are going to do better than the pure banks uh, this year. All right. And you bought more Morgan Stanley. Why did you choose to do that? Because because of the capital markets, um, pure play for sure. I mean, Morgan Stanley, they have capital markets, they have wealth management, they have a great dividend, 3.7% dividend yield. Uh, the stock is trading at 14 times. So I like the diversification, but it really is the capital markets uh, play. All right. Good stuff, Steph. Uh, thanks for taking us through uh, all of that. It's a lot uh, to get to. So you're pretty active in the market. As I turn now to Josh, as we get set to make the turn, and again, we, we have certainly a new trend, uh, Josh, that we've been talking about. Dow's good for 225. S&P 500, uh, 43.89. That's good for uh, about 12 and a half points. What are your thoughts here as we uh, wind down this month? I actually want to make the case for the banks here, and uh, I think Stephanie's going to do well with uh, Morgan Stanley, and I like that move out of Wells Fargo into Morgan Stanley because I agree with her. The capital markets opening up is going to disproportionately benefit the companies that have those businesses, and MS has a, a great franchise in all of the areas that you would want them to. Let's go ahead and take a look at first the Renaissance Capital IPO ETF. It's easy. The ticker is IPO. Patty, throw that up for me. So this was down 57% last year. It was Last year was probably the worst year ever since the dot-com bubble, at least, for recently public companies. Look at it this year. The S&P is up 14%. This thing is up 30-some-odd percent and climbing. And this is an index of companies that have gone public in the past couple of years. So seeing deals open, seeing Bob Pisani with his swagger back, uh, I love it. And if you, if you think about the dominoes, the next thing that happens is you start hearing about better than expected and you start hearing about beats for companies like Morgan Stanley. And I think JP Morgan, which I own as well. Now let's look at the XLF. If you're somebody that's been sitting there saying, oh, no, I don't have enough exposure, what do I do? This is the most logical place to go. The XLF is only 7% off its low from the Silicon Valley Bank debacle a few months ago. This index has not recovered. It's down 3% on the year. Going into Silicon Valley Bank, the XLF was actually a leading sector. It was up 8%. Why was it leading? Well, it turns out the shape of the yield curve. The, is it inverted? Is it not inverted? That's actually not that important. The level of overall rates is way more important. And the banks today are in a really good position mm -hmm. to make a lot of money on deposits. They haven't been in a while. So you look at these stocks, you look where they're trading. They haven't done anything for a long time. It's very rare, Judge, to have two back-to-back -back negative years for the XLF. It's only happened twice since the inception of, of this index ETF. Yeah. Uh, it happened from 2001 to 02. It happened in 07 and 08. Last year, the XLF was down 10%. I don't think it finishes this year back to back down again. So if you're wondering what to do with yourself, you've got stocks trading at six, seven, and eight price earnings multiples in this sector. They haven't bounced with the rest of the market. They've been lagging, and they're poised to make a lot of money okay. from things like IPOs and money market funds. Guy to my left, Rob, you want to take the other side of that trade? You, you're telling me? I, I do. I think you have to be a lot more surgical than that. When you look at what the banks have just gone through the stress test, the top performers were Bank Are you a of surgeon America, now? J.P. Morgan, and Wells Fargo. 
we own two of those three, right? So if you're looking to be defensive, and by the way, why can't they you both the X, trade. Why can't, why can't you own the XLF? Because in the XLF, you have a lot broader, uh, lot broader constituents, and some banks, some financial institutions are having to pay more for deposits, significantly more because of what we just went through. So you probably saw a peak in net interest margin spread. So why do you want to buy it all when you see clear distinction in the leaders versus the laggards in terms of the quality of their business? You're seeing it in the stress test. You're seeing it in the attra who's attracting this capital markets activity that they're talking about. So why buy everything? That's my view. Josh? I totally agree. I own JP Morgan. I don't own the XLF. Totally agree. I think there's one thing being left out here, which is total shareholder yield. Uh, between buybacks and dividends, these big banks are really attractive. And they're buying back shares. You think about the multiples and what that means for the earnings yield, the dividends they're paying, price-to-book uh, valuations. So they're really, this shareholder yield for Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, very attractive. The other stock I want to get to is, is one of the charts of the day for sure. It's Micron falling today despite its earnings beat. Bill Baruch has a huge position in that, uh, relatively speaking, obviously. It's one of his largest, though, I, I should say. Uh, and he's with us now. So what are you doing with this position, which is your number two, I think, of all the stocks you own? Yeah, this is our number two position. And, you know, it, it, Apple's number one and some of the other semis like NVIDIA and AMD, we've been trimming those. And Micron is, is a staple within our portfolio. And I really like what they said yesterday about a trough in memory demand. Now, this is not the reaction that I would have hoped to see after the market opened and was up all night. We had GDP beat, and for a cyclical company, a cyclical tech company, if you will, that was talking about a trough in demand, you would think that a strong GDP number was, was going to be good for it. Now, you do have the two-year yield hitting 4.9%, and that you know is hitting tech in general. I, I think that one-two punch is also uh, coordinated with, uh, you know, Micron's been in China's crosshairs before, and so I think we had the news with NVIDIA and AI from the U.S., so I think that might be digesting that right now, now that it's past earnings. But there's a lot of positives to take away from here. Record SSD demand in the prior quarter. They're talking about record total addressable market in 2025, which will help uh, compress their margins. Uh, and then you also have uh, that, that trough in memory demand. So I've come on the show a number of times in the past year and said, that it's all about the haves and have-nots in 2023. And Micron was really the, the underpinning of that belief. And, and they really lowered their guidance in, in middle of last year and then around Christmas of last year. Um, they were just extremely negative, but they laid that groundwork. And I think the companies really benefited from that. So you're looking out, you're seeing gross margins that are negative 10% this quarter or negative 16% this quarter, but they're down from negative uh, 31%. You're talking about $7 billion in CapEx that's been cut by 40 percent since last year. So there's some real big positives to look forward to. I, I still like the stock and it's still going to be a, a cornerstone within our portfolio. All right. We'll see what it does uh, from here forward. Bill, thank you for that. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back to trade on Disney as one Wall Street firm just laid out five reasons to step aside on that name. Jim owns it. We'll get his take on that, obviously. Plus another check on shares of Savers Value Village. It's just IPO here at the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, there you go. It's up uh, more than 29%. We're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. 
Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, we're back. I want to do one of our calls of the day. It's to you, uh, Jim, because it's Disney. And it's KeyBank. Five reasons to step aside on Disney. They downgraded to sector weight. You know the reasons. I mean, DTC subgrowth is stalled, number one. Domestic parks expectations appear too high. And there are a few other reasons, obviously, as well. I don't need to go through all of them. The point is, step aside, they say. Yeah. For a stock that really has been a dud. It's been a dog. It's been a dog. I'm what, trying to so muster up the energy to come in here. Look, I'm not going to sell it here, so let's just start with the action. If you own it, this is not the price to sell it. That doesn't necessarily mean come in and load the boat here. I think the most important thing I can say relative to this analyst report is there's nothing new. He may be right. He may be wrong. But there's no, like, I didn't wake up this morning and say, hmm, what's new at Disney? Oh, maybe, you know what, maybe, sh- maybe investors, just if nothing new, need a reminder of the challenges that exist if they are reevaluating for themselves whether they should stay in the stock or not. I think that's a totally fair legit, totally thing to legit. make a call. I'm not, I'm not taking issue with the analyst. What I'm saying is there's nothing new for me today. So I went to bed last night not thinking about Disney, but if I had, I would have said, okay, I'm going to own it to the next quarter. I'm going to see if Bob Iger's cost-cutting turns around. I'm going to see what uh, corporate action he's taking vis-a-vis Hulu or ESPN. And at what were you this thinking price, about? Were you, huh? What were you thinking about when you went to bed? He were you was thinking, thinking of about Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Paramount, what were you thinking about? Dude, dude, I was thinking about Delta Airlines. I was thinking about, you're kind of harsh today. I was Marsh. thinking about Wind Resorts. You walk no, I do, that I one, do take friend. issue with the downgrade. You do? Good. Take the heat off of me, Josh. Yeah, I you do. Go. All right, go ahead. I think that I don't own the stock, and it's been a falling knife for more than a year. And just technically, $88 was support in January. I think it's going to break $88 and establish a new multi-year low. I don't think it's like a great buy here, but this is a clown grade. This stock is trading 22 times forward earnings and is in a 58% drawdown. So the so I agree with Jim, like, why now? Do you have something new to come to the table with? Or are you just telling us ESPN is a challenging situation? Like the rest of us are, are sitting here eating paste and waiting for you to point that out. We all know that. That's why the stock's lost two-thirds of its market cap. Why today? Why now? Makes no sense. I don't own it. Thank God. I, I, have, I have my own problems. But this is where I start to get interested in a situation like this. So if we see this stock with a, in the low 80s, maybe even a seven handle, I think that's possible. That's where I'm like looking to first get involved, not looking for more reasons to sell. The reasons to sell are very well known. We yeah. all get it. Well, so, Steph got it. And, and by Steph, the way, yeah. co- 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 one thing, cost cutting is not the issue. The content sucks. That's what they have to fix. And that's Bob Iger's specialty. The content is the problem. Every one of those Marvel shows was a dud. Every one of them. They have serious content problems. This new Pixar movie that they put out was an abomination. Nobody went to see it. I think they did 15 million in box office. 
I could have told you from the previews alone, no one's going to see this movie. So that's the part that Bob Iger actually can fix. Cost cutting is obvious. Right. That's what all of the big media companies are doing. So I think there's a better opportunity to buy it than today. Okay. I definitely would not be a seller. All right. I, I Sis- love it when Cisco Ebert and Brown. I love it when Josh backs me up. It feels so good. Well, Steph, <laughs> you sold it what? I don't know. A I love you, Jimmy. Ago. Yeah, I mean, I I made a little bit of money, not as much as I thought I was going to. I think that this is a value trap, quite frankly. I think it's going to take a very, very long time for them to turn this around. Um, And why I sold it, A, it sounds like they're going to buy the remaining interest of Hulu. I don't want them to do that, to be honest with you. They already have a levered balance sheet to begin with. Streaming competition is a nightmare, and I think that only gets uh, worse going going forward. And cost-cutting, yeah, they got a $5 billion cost-cutting program, which I always kind of like restructurings and cost cutting. However, last quarter, they talked about cost cutting on the content side. That's not good. They actually need to help and improve the content, like Josh just said. And I, I, don't, I just didn't like that combination of the three. And at 23 times earnings, I just don't, I don't find it compelling at all. Jim, I'll give you the last word to wrap that one up. Yeah, I just don't think this is the price to sell it. Look, I have a 25-stock portfolio, which means there are quintiles of stocks I love. This rather, is in the lowest. You'd rather wait for the, the 70s? I mean, okay. The, I'm ha, just ha, kidding. Ha. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know you're just kidding. But, no, I don't think this is the price to sell. It is not a stock that I'm in love with. I don't go to sleep. I don't wake up in the morning thinking about Disney. There are other stocks. And, yes, Mr. Smart Guy, it is Cliffs. <laughs> and, yes, it is Boeing. And, yes, it is Wynn Resorts. Okay. TJX, I don't know if you're thinking about that one either uh, in the evening or the morning, but Stephanie Link owns it, and it was initiated overweight at Piper Sandler. Price target, 110 bucks. Yeah, and this one has been kind of disappointing year-to-date in terms of performance. I thought it would have done better, just given that high inventories benefits the off-price retailers. And, in fact, the senior VP and an IR person just about a month ago was on the road saying that they're seeing all kinds of great deals that they're getting because there's such in excess inventory out there. So you have better pricing, right? You, you have uh, you better buying, and that increases your basket and your transactions. And they talk about 2 to 3% comp growth, and that's kind of what they have been doing. And I think... The real change this year will be gross margins. They should improve as freight costs come down and supply chains ease. So I still like this one a lot. I, I hope it plays catch up because it's quality company to me at a, at a good price. Okay, good stuff. Thank you. Let's get the headlines now with Contessa Brewer. Hi, Contessa. Hey there, Scott. The NAACP is accusing the Supreme Court of turning back the clock on the nation's history of racial progress. The high court ruled against affirmative action programs at Harvard and the University of North Carolina. The justices did not completely rule out race in admissions programs, saying it could still be part of an applicant's discussion on how race affected their life. Millions of people across the U.S. are dealing with stifling heat and unhealthy air for yet another day. The National Weather Service says there is no end in sight for the smoke from the Canadian wildfires. It's affected air quality for some 100 million people from the Great Lakes to Maryland. Meanwhile, 71 million people, mostly in the South, are under heat alerts. Rough day. South Koreans woke up. Younger this week, as a new law takes effect, it gets rid of the country's aging convention that considers people a year old the day that they're born. The change aligns South Korea with international age counting methods. It will not affect when South Korean young men become eligible to serve their mandatory military duty. So, Scott, basically you had a bunch of people who were like, uh, I'm 40 today. Now I wake up, I'm 39. I just think we should all book a trip to South Korea just for the 
back to feeling younger yeah. for the day. All right, Contessa, thank you. That's Contessa Brewer. <laughs> Up next, a mid-year check on our halftime stock summit. How the committee's top ideas for 23 are doing so far halfway through. We're right back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. We're at the highs of the day for stocks. Want to show you another IPO that's just opened, the second of three today here at the New York Stock Exchange. It's Kodiak Gas, and there the stock is uh, opened lower uh, by about 2.5%. Still waiting on Fidelis. We'll keep our eyes right there. All right, welcome back. As we close out the first half of the trading year, let's check in on our annual stock summit. So remember, you guys made picks beginning of the year, a few picks in a sector you thought uh, were going to do well uh, this year. Jimmy, I go to you. Boeing, mm-hmm. okay. Cliffs, Paramount, and the XLI. To me, very representative of where positioning in large part was as the year started and how it turned out to be in the wrong position by virtue of what we've witnessed through the first six months. I mean, you took the words out of my mouth, very well put. Now the question is, what does the second half of the year bring? And I do think that Boeing and Cleveland Cliffs, very economically sensitive stocks, will outperform well. Everybody by this point in time knows my economic Fidelis, by the way, just opened. I don't mean to interrupt you, but uh, Fidelis is now open as well. It's open lower by uh, 6%. So we've got one open higher, and then two of the three uh, have open lower as we have uh, Bit of a thaw on those IPOs, as we said earlier here at the New York Stock Exchange. Continue, please. And then the big black eye, I've owned up to it, and I will continue to own up to it, is Paramount. It hasn't done too much damage this year, down about 6%. But the question, obviously, for everyone is, what do you do with it if you own it here? I do think this gets taken out in a private market transaction. Uh, I think that could be considerably higher, like around $20 a share could happen this year, in which case I would not sell it right now, and I'm not at this price. So that's still what you're gaming for. That is the game. What about, it, that's the exit. What about the XLI? I, well, listen, Scott, you, everybody knows what my position is, right? Supply chain onshoring, infrastructure spending, pent-up industrial production from Boeing, from GM, from Ford. It all benefits the cats of the world, the deers of the world, the transportations of the world, which I think have much more room to run. But see, I know everybody knows your positions. I think one of the issues becomes for not, not just you, yeah, go, but go, go. any investor, frankly, is you get married to your positions, yep. right? That's the danger in this whole process. You get married to your positions and think that the world is going to come to you rather than you go to it. Now, all of the reasonings behind your moves make perfect sense over the long term. That doesn't mean that they work in the short term. But you're not looking to switch any of these 
out based on what the market's done for the first six months, I guess is what I wanted to know. That's exactly right. And that's an excellent synopsis. Okay. And, and what I've been saying recently is this market, as we know, the market always looks forward six to nine months. Maybe I'm wrong about the recession, Scott. Maybe I'm wrong, everybody. But here's the thing. If you do get a second half of the recession, second half of this year recession, this market is looking forward to 2024. It sees the Fed being done, not cutting, being done with rate hikes. It sees inflation coming down and it sees the economy growing again in those hard asset areas that benefit the industrial. So you make a great point. It is a danger to get married to your positions. It's also a danger to give up too early, which is, I think, what I'd be doing if I got out of the industrial. All right, All right well said. Uh, Stephanie Link, I come to you. Uh, boy, you've had a couple of real big winners. GE, 64% year to date. Broadcom, 52. Starbucks hasn't worked out. It's flat. And then the XLF, again, a positioning issue um, um, for you. But talk us through what you think happens now. I still like all of them. I think GE is a simplified company. They spun off GE Healthcare. That, that, by the way, that spin has worked very nicely. They're going to spin out PowerGen Renewables sometime in January of 2024. And then you're left with GE Aerospace, which is the gem of the company. It always has been the gem of the company. And the Paris Air Show actually reinforced that with new orders, both OEMs, aftermarket. I think margins are poised to, up, to see upside. So I still like it very much. I, I put a 14 14 multiple on EBITDA for the aerospace, a five multiple on the PowerGen business. You can get $125 from here. I think there's probably upside because PowerGen is depressed on earnings. Um, Broadcom, you know, I've been taking some profits um, just because I think it's prudent to do, but I still like it very much. I like the diversified revenue mix um, with regards to AI, cloud, data center, networking, Apple exposure. Uh, they've got $18 billion in free cash flow, and it trades about 19 times. Why it's trimmed it is because it's seen multiple expansion pretty big time in the last two months from 16 times to 19 times. Not rich by any means, but I just think that that was a little bit ahead. Of, it got a little bit ahead of itself. So I just took a little bit there, but I like it very much long term. Starbucks is a little bit frustrating, but I don't have any doubt that the long-term algorithm is still very strong in terms of growth at scale uh, and also scarcity value. And this company is doing very well in a lot of parts of the uh, world, in the U.S., U.K., and Japan, not so much in China. But this goes back to the Las Vegas Sands uh, call for me, and that is China is going to eventually reopen. They will eventually see uh, some, uh, some upside and positive revisions there. So I like it very much. Um, XLF, we just talked about. About. I think yeah. I mentioned when I picked XLF, I picked Morgan Stanley because I said capital markets are going to bottom sometime this year. And I wanted to play that as a theme into the second half of the year. All right. Good stuff. We're going to take a quick break. Then Rob Seachin is going to talk about his own stock summit picks over the first half and what he thinks happens here forward. We're back after this quick break. All right. Let's continue our stock summit uh, recap. Seachin. Meta, home run, obviously. 137% year to date. JPM was your number two, plus 3% underperformer. EOG, energy's had a bad year, down 14%. And the ITA, aerospace and defense, is an underperformer too. But I'll let you gloat, I suppose, on Meta first. Well, Jimmy knew this strategy when we, when we talked about it on the show. It was really one that could work in any environment. This is an all-trained vehicle, right? You have a company with great optionality if what happened was to happen in meta, offensive play, defensive play in ITA, 
right? Geopolitical hedge in EOG in perhaps one of the best value stocks out there in JP Morgan. Now, the conservative side of that ledger, not working. The offensive side of that ledger, working really, really well. And when I think about it, I think you want to let your, your winners ride. That's how I think about uh, Meta. So you say, well, you'd stay with Meta. Yeah, and plus, you look at some of the prices on these other companies. Meta doesn't trade at the same price. That's one of the reasons that we are double the you weight of the end. Yeah. Uh, yeah, PE, right? We, we are double the valuation, uh, double the weight in the index because of the valuation, whereas others we own, but we own in much smaller size. Let me ask so, you this. Do you think energy turns around in the second half? I think there's a good possibility that it does, right? Because it looks like the recession that everybody expected to come is at least going to be delayed. So I, I think you want to retain that optionality. And plus, there's no denying that there's still geopolitical risk out there, mm -hmm. right? And so, so, so that's something that you want to have in there. Now, J.P. Morgan's interesting because in terms of their tier one capital and the stress test, they've done incredibly well. They have exposure to the capital markets activity that both uh, Steph and Josh talked about in the show. So should be a really good choice. I will tell you, I was tempted to add Broadcom. We added it on April 28th on this show. It's up 40%. So I, I'd, I'd kind of stay cautious, stay yep. with JP Morgan. And then ITA, I, Josh picked this, this sector too. I got to tell you, when you look at defense, when you look at the orders, if you went to the Paris Air Show and wanted to buy something, you couldn't get anything until 2028. That shows you the state of affairs there. So I like what we own right now a lot, and I think you can stick with it. So, Josh, let me get your recap here, because um, you have crossover on JPM in terms of what you own and like, the ITA, obviously. And then I think the other day in our conversation about the second half, you really think that energy's primed for a bid. Yeah, I think it's something that we should be paying attention to. Crude oil has been showing signs of life lately. It's just not been a focus of the market. Energy stocks had such an incredible year last year, both in absolute terms and relevant to the overall market. This year, they're taking a little bit of a breather. Obviously, the, the comps get a little bit tougher. Uh, they're not going to see anywhere near the growth that they were seeing last year. But these companies are in great shape. The large index weights in the big energy stock uh, uh, sector index ETFs are are really in better shape than they've been in for a long time, and demand will be better if we're not going to have the second half recession. So I think those are a story that we will see people return to. On J.P. Morgan, just t look, it's it's a uh, it's not a cheap bank stock. It's more expensive than the others on several metrics, but I also think it's the best positioned. And I think when you look at a Citigroup trading six times earnings. Uh, yeah, it's the cheapest one. Deservedly so. Reputation matters in these stocks. And Rob made the point in the A block that there are differences between these companies. And I agree. So I like JP Morgan the best. Mm -hmm. Technically, if it if it gets above 145, the stock could explode. So I'm a longtime shareholder. I don't care that much how it does this month, this quarter. Um, but I do think there's a setup here for a better first half than the second half. All right. Up next, Mike Santoli has his midday word when we come back. All right. Welcome back. All three IPOs of the day. Uh, they're all open now. One green, two red. Value Village up. You see Kodiak and Fidelis are both uh, 
Sabres Villages is green. The others are in the red, as you see. All right, Mike uh, Santoli, senior markets commentator, is with us now for his midday word, which is? Well, the SAP is rising. I mean, people are allowing uh, risk levels in their portfolios to go up. I think that's reflected in the fact that we're swallowing uh, some new issues, as well as um, really looking for other lagging beneficiaries of what's now uh, seeming like a more firm economic uh, setup. So uh, really this month has been one big exhale. Uh, people were very clenched up about what was, gonna, what was to come in the economy, uh, what the Fed might have to do to, to kind of choke things off. And we're in this moment here where it feels a little bit more like you have room to maneuver. Um, that, what comes along with that is sentiment gets to a certain point. I don't think we're there yet when it becomes a real hazard because everyone overbelieves that things are going to be great. And we're watching yields. We're watching things that could turn from tailwind to headwind. Uh, but right now, uh, you know, kind of it's much more about reaching for the stuff that hasn't yet participated fully like which banks. which makes you feel I would I would suggest a little bit better about where we are that you, you just don't you don't have this yeah. overwhelming positivity of, in the market. Still. You still have a lot of a lot of haters of yeah. the rally. No, there's a lot of folks that are going to, you know, still fixate on the things like, first of all, I can I can sit in five percent and not feel as if I'm missing too much. Uh, and also, the, look, it's a it's a very tough to navigate cycles, psychologically, uh, economically, every other way. And so and people still do believe, you know, jobless claims. You see people dismiss a decline in jobless claims this morning on, uh, on a weekly basis, saying, oh, don't look at the seasonally adjusted stuff or uh, the four week average is still going up. So this debate's going to continue. I don't think we've been liberated from that idea that uh, we're t- sort of late cycle, but uh, we'll see. The market wants to, it, the market can wait only so long yeah. without deciding to reach for some shiny objects. Calendar turns, debate remains the same. I'll yeah, see you exactly. at uh, closing bell. Yep. That's Mike Santoli. Final trades are just ahead. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. I have a special hour to tell you about tonight on CNBC. Our documentary, China's Corporate Spy War, 6 p.m. Eastern. Don't miss Eamon Javer's work on that. Extraordinary stuff. Also, 3 o'clock Eastern, closing bell. Hope you'll join me then. We have a great show. We've got Bryn Talkington, Joe Terranova, Nike Earnings, Earn OT, Omar Aguilar of Schwab, and Inflection AI's Mustafa Suleiman is back with us. They raised $1.3 billion today from Microsoft and others. He, of course, the DeepMind co-founder, was with us out in San Francisco several weeks ago. Well, he is back to talk about AI, the hype, the hope, just about everything else. Speaking of Nike, Steph, tell me about these earnings and your position in this stock. Well, uh, yes, I own it. I'm a little nervous about it um, because there's going to be puts and takes. Wholesale destocking in North America is expected. That's going to be the negative. On the positive, how do they do in China with the reopen? It's 15% of their total revenues. Inventories, I think they're going to get down uh, much uh, much lower than people think because they've been working that down. Uh, Inventories were up 15% last quarter up uh, 43% in the first quarter, so making progress. And so, and then it's all about DTC. Yeah. All right, final trade. Give me a name, please. Schwab. All right, good stuff. Thank you. Josh Brown. J.P. Morgan, dividend increase Friday, I believe. Farmer Jim. 
Wynn Resorts. I told you about Las Vegas, and Steph told you about Macau. Yeah, Steph uh, with that Las Vegas stands by at the top of the show. All right, thank you. Rob Seachin, what you got? Home Depot, the underperformance versus the home builders has been striking. There has to be some catch-up. All right, another new buy. For Steph, all right, I'll see you on Closing Bell. Thank you for watching. Dow's good for 257. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 